Alrighty, hour number three, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I want to welcome to the studio Bobby Shields. He is running for North Carolina State Senate District 40. Bobby, welcome to the program. Do me a favor, pull that microphone up just a little bit closer to you. Yeah, you could just, there you go. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank Good. you for having me here, Pete. Absolutely. I haven't seen you in uh, probably a decade. You used to work uh, at the, the Mecklenburg County government. That's and right. And so uh, you retired in 2013. Nine years ago. Right. And so just a glutton for punishment. Now you're running for office. Just why? Why would you do such a thing? <laughs> yeah, I still have lots of energy. I uh, did not do anything for the first year of retirement except walking around trying to figure out what to do. And then I looked at what was going on in the state and in this district, and I decided to put my hat in the ring and run. I'm not running, really running against the incumbent. I'm running for the people in District 40. So the incumbent is Joyce Waddell. She's a Democrat. And she used to, was she on school board here? She was on school board. Yeah. Okay. And she's trying for her fifth term. Okay. And this district, uh, give us the contours of the district. All right. UNC Charlotte is in the district. Eastway is east of Eastway Drive. It's north of Independence part of Matthews and all of Mayhill. And stretches all the way up around? All the way up. The Eastland Mall area, all of that. Okay. Um, and so for folks who aren't aware, um, you you worked for the county for a very long time, and I used to cover the county uh, commission beat, so you were always at the meetings. You were given various presentations and stuff. So I got to believe that that level of understanding of the way government operates you think is help, it will be helpful at a state level. It should be, and that's part of the reason why I was optimistic about running. But the district that I'm in is a very partisan district, mm-hmm. and so my experience helps me, but my affiliation hurts me. You're a Republican. That's exactly right. Have you always been a Republican, even in county, when you were ha- working for the county? Well, half of my life I was a Democrat mm. and half a Republican. When I was working for the county for the most part, I was a Republican. I would say 20 of the 27 years hmm. with the county, I was a Republican. And I will tell you, this is to your credit, I never knew that. I never could tell. So it, uh, That's the way it should have that's been. The, and that's the way it should be. Um, so the, uh, this district you mentioned, is it leans Democrat. This is a, de- a heavy Democrat district? Uh, 50%. That's pretty heavy. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty heavy. 33% unaffiliated and only 17% Republicans. So what's the pathway to victory? Well, I thought the pathway to victory was to get a uh, critical endorsement, which I did not get. Uh, And I'll say it was for the Black Political Caucus. Mm -hmm. And in that particular district, they do carry a lot of clout. Uh, I'm somewhat dismayed that people do look at endorsements of that nature, and I'm convinced that people really don't take the time to study the candidate, but they just look at the endorsement and say, okay, this is the person. Right. They they sort of farm out the work, much like the county commissioners used to farm out work to the staff. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But like they, they, yeah, they, they let someone else kind of give them the, the slate and say, all right, they must have vetted them and so... Right. I'll just trust their right. recommendations. And and with all the candidates there, it would take a long time to go and really do your own independent research, especially when you get in the area of judges. It yeah. shouldn't be as difficult with uh, Senate 
and representatives at the state level. It shouldn't be. But I, I don't believe people are really doing their independent research. They're depending on those whom they trust to steer them in the right direction for whatever reason they might be steered. Right. But then, of course, you're assuming that the people that are steering it have your same objectives, your same beliefs and values, and they want the same things. And that might not be the case. Right. And in, in District 40, the belief is that, well, the majority of the people, 50% of the people are leaning towards the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And so it's understandable that they would stick in solidarity and they would take a safe bet. I mean, we are in such a polarized time right now that to venture away from your party affiliation, you really have to have very strong evidence and a very strong reason to do so. So I completely understand yeah. why people sticking with their party. Well, and does the, and I don't know, maybe you don't know the answer to this, but does the Black Political, uh, black political Caucus do endorsements for Republicans? Do they ever endorse Republicans? Because I, I, I remember, you know, 15 years ago, they would every now and again, but they largely would endorse Democrats. But every now and again, they would do an endorsement for Republican. Do they do that yeah, now? About five years ago, I believe there was one endorse, <laughs> none the last time around. And to the best of my knowledge, none this time this around. Time around. So it's kind of like the Charlotte Observer editorial. No, I'm kidding. I'm just <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But right, so you thought you said this is a this is a critical uh, endorsement that you did not get. Um, so if that's the if that was the pathway to victory before the endorsement, you didn't get it. What's the pathway now? Well, the only pathway is that people will read my material, hear what I have to say, mm-hmm. and vote for me. Is now I will tell you that. This is my third time running, and each time I have really run in different districts mm-hmm. uh, because they've been redrawn. This time, the new uh, portions of the district, really all of UNC Charlotte campus, and I'm not really in tune with how students might vote. I can tell you. Uh, Democrat. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's generally well, the case. My, my pathway just got <laughs> narrow. So, and and all of Mid Hill before it was part of Mid Hill, and first time I ran, I did not win any precincts. Last time I ran, I won maybe a quarter of the precincts, and this time I'm hoping to win more. Mm-hmm. Is that a pathway? Not a, I would have to get all if I got all of the unaffiliated, all of the Republicans. And just 20% of the Democrats, that would be the pathway to victory. So have you been following any of the uh, the developments inside uh, the Hispanic demographic, the, this, this movement that Hispanic voters were seeing away from the Democrat Party to Republican Party? Like a pretty big swing over the last four years or so. Is that something, considering the contours of that district, is that something that might that might help on your pathway to say, I'm going to go into these Latino neighborhoods and I'm going to make my case to them because they are obviously more persuadable than people that rely on the Black Political Caucus endorsement? That's true, but they are not a big population in mm. District 40. Uh, in I, Eastway? Well, I used to live off Eastway. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just judging by like, you know, 
when I lived there in 05 to 2010? Yeah, the district is 43% uh, black, uh, 36% white, and then maybe it's that 11% that's undesignated, mm-hmm. 3% Asian. Mm-hmm. But in the information that I have, it really doesn't list Latino yeah. as a category, huh. which I find interesting as well. Right. Would that be undesignated or would they be in the white category? Because I've seen some. They could very well be. Right. That could be in there yeah. as well. But that might be, um, that might be, so what do you, all right, so let me ask you, make your pitch now then to these, these people that are persuadable, but might not be interested in voting for a Republican simply because you have an R next to your name. What do you offer them? All right, here, here's what I really offer. I offer them a moderate candidate. In fact, uh, I've been labeled as a liberal Republican, which I think is the same thing as a conservative Democrat. So, so I'm, I'm a moderate. And that's what I offer. I'm not extreme right. I'm not extreme left. I'm not anti-government. I'm pro-good government. And if someone, if, if the voters in District 4, they really want a person with experience, with the ability to make it happen, to do it, I'm the person. If they want more of the same with the name that they probably don't even recognize after five terms, after running for the fifth term, if they want that, then so be it. That's what they get. They would get exactly what they have always gotten. And if they're satisfied with that, then so be it. If they're not satisfied and they want someone who will work and make it happen with experience, then I'm the person to do it. Well, and to that point, if you've got a Republican majority up in Raleigh, um, who stands a better chance of winning things for the district? Because Joyce Waddell has not been able to do so. And, and even if it's strictly partisan, you would have obviously more leverage in Raleigh to get stuff, which is, I mean, not to be too crass about it, but, you know, politicians are basically people we hire to go take stuff from other people and bring them back to our district. So, like, if, if that's the way you look at it, then you would be, a, it seems to me, to be a better pick yeah. uh, for folks in that district. And that's a blessing and a curse because mm-hmm. the tagline now is prevent the super majority. Mm-hmm. So although I would be part of the majority party, maybe if it stays that way, the concern is if I'm there, I might create a super majority again. So that's the attack so that's, line they're using on you? That's exactly right. All right. Can you hang around for another segment? Sure. All right. Bobby Shields is with me. He is the Republican candidate for North Carolina Senate District 40. We'll have more with him in a minute. Bobby Shields is running for North Carolina Senate District 40. And uh, his website, Vote. BobbyShields.com, and that is Bobby with an I-E, so B-O-B-B-I-E, VoteBobbyShields.com. So during the break, we're discussing um, this idea that, because I asked you flat out, I said, well, if if it's difficult to win as a Republican, why not just register as a Democrat and run as a Democrat? Why not do it that way? And then you could still be your own person up in Raleigh, but you might actually... You might actually, because I mean, what's the old line about uh, the most powerful person on any body is the swing vote. And if you're a swing vote, then you got people that would come to you and try to persuade you in various ways. You could become a very vital uh, lawmaker. 
Why not just register as a Democrat? Yeah, the primary thing is that that word primary, because if in the partisan primary, you have to be extreme, either extreme to the left or extreme to the right. And I simply cannot be extreme to the left and promise people everything that they might want. I can't do that. And but with regards to the Republican, it's very unlikely that there would be another Republican that would come up and say, yes, I'm declaring to run in Senate District 40 because they probably know better yeah. than I do. But, uh, you know, I, I thought about that, and that was my rationale for not doing it. It's just not me. I can't out-left anyone because I'm not a far-left person. Mm-hmm. I'm a moderate person interested in the betterment of the community. Well, and also, given your experience working for Mecklenburg County and going through, I mentioned the budget dance during the break there with you, <laughs> Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools always coming forward with, you know, pie-in-the-sky budget proposal and county commissioners saying that is not affordable, we are not raising taxes that much, and we got questions about how you've been spending the money we did give you last time. So you know that they always ask for sort of X plus Y, right, when they actually could get by with just X, but they're going to ask for the plus Y and knowing that they're probably not going to get it, and this is why we always called it the dance, because they would come in with this inflated number, and then the county would come back at them with a lower number, and they would end up somewhere in the middle, and everybody was kind of happy with it. But that's normally the way that happens. And when you have, especially with education funding, right, it's I'm going to just, whatever you want to, uh, whatever the, you know, the NCAE, the teachers union, don't call it a union, whatever they ask for, that's what we're going to endorse. That's the spending level we're going to say. And that's, you can't do that. Yeah. And then at the state level, you, you've heard of Leandro, mm-hmm. the Leandro plan, which is what's called for now. And the judge actually ordered that the Leandro plan be implemented. I looked at the Leandro plan, mm-hmm. and it's a recommendation from the consultant. The consultant recommended. So I always look at recommendations as being simply that. It's something that people would like to have. And I would expect that there are certain things in the recommendation which will never occur. So I could not promise full funding of the Leandro plan, but I would promise taking a very hard look at the need and see what the plan has to say. One, I want to say one additional thing about Leandro plan. I drew, grew up in the county, one of the, which was one of the five plaintiffs oh, really? in the Leandro case. Mecklenburg County wasn't part of that. And I know the conditions that they were trying to correct. So even if the plan is implemented, District 4, because the funding is so much higher here in District 4 than in other parts of the state of North Carolina, I don't know how much benefit would accrue from the Leandro plan for Mecklenburg County. Right. But I can't promise full funding of the Leandro plan, but my opponent has indeed said, yes, full funding. And the response was, a, yay, yay. I can't do that. Right. Well, because there's, there's no downside for them to say full funding. They're not in the majority, so they, they can make that promise and not deliver. And I always point back to the historical uh, track record, which is, they were not fully funding schools when they had power. What makes you think that they're giving you anything other than lip service right now? Because when they had the reins of power for over a century, 
They got sued under Leandro, right? That's they were in, they were in charge. They got sued, and uh, so uh, this uh, because they get to make the promise, and it doesn't matter. It's one of the benefits of being the minority party, where you don't you don't have the power, so you can make those promises. And you know that, and I encourage other people to do their own research. But quite frankly, that's way too much to ask of people because most people, some people, will not do their own research and get the data for themselves, but you are exactly right. Yeah, well, they're not all retired. They don't have all this time to research. That's right. Uh, no, it's, it, yeah, the, uh, was it the West Ed, right, was the, the consulting group that That's did exactly the... exactly right. Yeah, that did the proposal. We've covered the Leandro trial uh, a good bit because it is so important, but it, I think there are, this, I mean, there are, this is what's at stake, is there are these promises that are getting made about school funding and one of the questions I always ask is, like, what's the ideal per-pupil expenditure? What, what's that number? Tell me the number. What is it? And this is as close, I think, as we ever got to a number, but even the, this is not a number. Sure. But it's just usually you just hear from Democrats just more, just yeah. more. Yeah. And that's not a governing philosophy. Yeah. So uh, Bobby Shields running for North Carolina State Senate District 40. His website is VoteBobbyShields.com. Uh, appreciate you coming in today. Thanks so much. Great to see you again. Thank you very much. Best of luck on the there. campaign trail to you. Thank you much. Although, I'm not sure I helped with your optimism here. With uh, yeah, well, with the, the cardinal rule is to stay optimistic. So I'm extremely optimistic. Go, go, go. There you go. And if anybody can help Bobby, you know how to do it. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Good to see you again. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I got a tweet from somebody, Walter. Oh, I'll follow you. Yep. Um, Walter says, Pete, maybe later in the week, talk about the order of the North Carolina ballots. Who is listed first? Is it alphabetical? Not in the sample they show me. And... Um, I won't make you wait till later in the week, Walter. I'll tell you right now. Um, it's actually random. They do uh, they do some sort of a lottery process to pick a letter of the alphabet, and that's what will start the order on the ballots in any given year. So, for example, um, right, so this must have obviously been uh, where the letter H, because I'm looking at the Senate office, Matthew Ho, he's listed first. Green Party candidate listed first, followed by Beasley, Bray, Bud. Well, they're all last name B. That's all alphabetical. Beasley, Bray, Bud. But Ho is listed first. So that tells me that, let's see, H-I, there's J is listed first. Uh, mm, Lee over Adams. So it looks like H. No? It could be E, because Sam Irvin is listed first over Trey Allen. So it could be as uh, as uh, as yeah, it could be as low or as early a letter in the alphabet as E. I think that might be it. Um, I'm trying to see. Clark, no, it could be C. Here's Christy Clark listed first over John Bradford. So it could be C. So when they pick the letters, and then they start from there. Right. So 
They think of it like a big bingo machine, right? They got all the balls and they out pops a letter and it's the letter C. And so that's the first letter of the alpha or that's the first. And they're going to go from alphabetical from that letter. C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, P, Q, R, S, T, V, W, X, Y, Z, A, B. And that's why Matthew Ho is listed above Beasley, Bray, and Bud. Clark is listed above Bradford. Dietz above Inman, that does, that's the same thing. Lee above Adams, same thing. So I think that's the, it looks like that's, uh, they started with the letter C. That's what it looks like just by looking at the sample ballot. But I don't remember what letter it was, but that's, it's my recollection that it's some sort of a randomized process like that. So because there were, so there's competing uh, theories on ballot order. Some people believe that, uh, and there is some evidence, on, you know, in both directions here, that uh, people will pick somebody who is at the top of the ballot. If my name's listed above yours, nobody knows either of us. They pick me because I'm first. Then there is also a theory that people who are listed later in the ballot, they get people's votes that don't know any of the candidates just because they get to the end of a list, especially if there's a longer list of candidates. They'll get to the end of the list and just check the one at the bottom because they look through the list looking for a name that is either familiar or it jumps out at them or speaks to them in some way or they draw some sort of uh, you know, conclusions based on the spelling of a name or whatever. Really, people make decisions like this all the time based on no information except the spelling of somebody's name. So there, so sometimes people will pick a ballot or pick a, a candidate that it's at the end of the ballot order. So they randomized it because it used to be Democrats pulled a trick. This was years ago. I'm trying to remember the I'm getting old now. See, so this I, I'm trying to remember the story, but I, I think it was they used to flip a coin to see which party would be listed first. But when they came to that. I want to say the story was when they when they came to that conclusion, they said, OK, we're going to do this new way. We're going to rotate it every other year or something like that. They're going to because for a while, Democrats were always at the top of the ballot, if I recall correctly, because the Democrats, they were in charge and they said, we're going to list on the ballot by party alphabetically. <laughs> right? And oh, look at that. We're the Democratic Party. D comes before R. And so we are labeled first. Um, and. Uh, so then Republicans complain that's not fair, it's not fair, whatever. Uh, and so they, they, they come up with some uh, idea, we're going we're gonna to rotate it back and forth or something like that, and then they had to flip a coin to see which wh- who would go first. Democrats won the coin flip, and, uh, and then they changed the law to, uh, to do something else. I, I forget, I, for, I shouldn't even have started this story because I forget, but it did involve like a coin flip and the ballot, <laughs> ballot order and some skullduggery. I don't remember the uh, the whole story. Um, let me get to this uh, audio clip. couple audio clips real quick. Let's see. This is, uh, yeah, let me do this one first. This was from two highlights from the, uh, from the uh, debates last night. One, this is from the, uh, the race for Senate in Ohio. J.D. Vance, the Republican, versus Tim Ryan, Democratic congressman. And um, J.D. Vance is accused of touting uh, replacement theory. That this idea that Jews are conspiring to displace white Americans with minorities and foreigners. Okay. Tim Ryan accuses J.D. Vance of touting replacement 
theory. We have a. So the, we have a. Hold on, JD. Stop no, this is me. this is disgusting. I, I'd like to get here's exactly what happens when the media and people like Tim Ryan accuse me of engaging the great great replacement theory. I'll tell you're you exactly, peddling it. I'll you're tell you exactly what happens, Tim. What happens is that my own children, my biracial children, get attacked by scumbags online and in person because you are so desperate for political power that you'll accuse me, the father of three beautiful biracial babies, of engaging in racism. We are sick of it. You can believe in a border without being a racist. You can believe in the, the country without being a racist. And this just shows how desperate this guy is for political power. I know you've been in office for 20 years, Tim, and I know it's a sweet gig, but you're so desperate not to have a real job that you'll slander me and slander my family. It's disgraceful. Thank you, Mr. Vance. I think, hold on, Derek. Real quick, I think I've got to get one more question in. I think I struck a nerve with this guy. You absolutely he's struck a nerve. It's shame. He's normal people, Tim Ryan, JD, when you insult their families, you strike a nerve I didn't, with I didn't normal talk people. About you. I would never talk about your family, JD. I wasn't raised that way. I would never talk about your family. So right. don't try to spin this because you don't want to talk about the fact that you're with the extremists and that belief, which is grounded going back decades so now he's he's literally saying oh i'm not doing this as he's doing it he's literally calling this guy a racist right oh i'm not attacking your family but you're saying that the jews are trying to replace all of the white people with minorities and he has biracial kids and so what and by the way this oh i really struck a nerve I saw somebody make this point last night. Yeah, Tim Ryan is not a good guy. That's not, he's, just, he, that's, he's not a good guy. Oh, I, like this is not a Twitter fight, dude. You, you, you say that, that J.D. Vance is advancing this uh, replacement theory garbage, which, by the way, that came from the Democrats. That came from Rui Teixeira and demographics is destiny. Uh, this idea that you know all of the white people die off and then Republicans never win again. That was the Democrats' path. That's why they abandoned the white working class. That was the purpose. Because they, they didn't need them anymore in their coalition because demographics was destiny. That was their idea. That was their theory. And now he's projecting that onto J.D. Vance, the father of three biracial kids. It's truly amazing. reminder thursday night mark garrison and brett jensen will be your hosts for this week's wbt talktoberfest over on the facebook live page wbt the account wbt's facebook live anyway it's presented by kirsten bernard and power home team keller williams south park eight o'clock thursday talktoberfest 2022 be there or as the kids say be square um, Stacey Abrams. This was in the gubernatorial debate last night down in Georgia, where I believe the devil goes. Democratic Georgia candidate for governor Stacey Abrams dodged the question when asked whether she would accept the results of the election. Yeah, Ms. Abrams, in 2018, you didn't concede defeat to Governor Kemp, and you talked to systemic problems with the state's election system. This election, do you commit to accept the outcome of the vote, regardless of what it shows? And do you stand by your use of words like rigged four years ago to describe the state's election system? 
In 2018, I began my speech on November 16th acknowledging that Governor Kemp had won the election. I then proceeded to lay out in grave detail the challenges faced by voters under his leadership as Secretary of State, including the 10 plus two who were arrested in Quitman, Georgia, because they had the temerity to use absentee ballots. I told the story of students who were denied access to the right to vote, even though they had duly registered. 80,000 complaints had come in by that day, and it took four years of federal investigation in a lawsuit that was the longest running voting rights lawsuit in the state's history, in recent history, that proved us right. Now, we didn't win yeah, every single no. claim, but we forced massive oh. changes to the election laws. And unfortunately, Brian Kemp and Brad Raffsenberger have decided to restore their greatest hits. Just to Day, a homeless woman was denied the right to vote in Forsyth County because she could not, she did not receive a provisional ballot because she had been challenged. As governor, I intend to stand up for the right to vote. I will always acknowledge the outcome of elections, but I will never deny access to every voter because that is the responsibility of every American to defend the right to vote. Thank you, Brian Kemp. Rebuttal, 30 seconds. Well, I would just say uh, that Ms. Abrams is going to do a lot of attacking of my record tonight because she doesn't want to talk about her own record. In 2018, in the governor's race, we had the largest African-American turnout in the country. She said that Senate Bill 202, our recent Elections Integrity Act, what we passed two years ago, would be suppressive in Jim Crow 2.0. Just this past May in our primaries, we again had record turnout in the Republican primary and the Democratic primary. In Georgia, it's easy to vote and hard to cheat. And I'd like to add just a second here as the libertarian, although you you will push for people to have access to going to the polls and voting, you're not pushing ballot access. This is a huge, huge oppression for people like the third parties, the people that want to get their people on the ballot. We have, I think, 20 percent Democrats, 20 percent Republicans in the state of Georgia. That leaves 60 percent of people in Georgia unrepresented by ballot access laws that both of them support. 30 seconds, Ms. Abrams. Actually, to correct Mr. Hazel, I co-sponsored legislation to expand ballot access because I agree with you that third parties should have better access to the right to vote in the state of Georgia. Never I co-sponsored it with, a, with one of our independents in the state legislature. But let's be clear about ballot access and voter access. Brian Kemp was the Secretary of State, and he has assiduously denied access to the right to vote. We know that the right to vote is the only way that we can make the changes we need in the state, the only way we can make the changes we need in this country, whether it's access to the right to an abortion, the ability to take care of our families. We need a governor who believes in access to the right to vote right. and not in voter suppression, which is the hallmark of Brian Kemp's leadership. Thank you very much. With, We're with, going to with move all, on. With all due respect, I was called out. I, I would like to just the record reflect, is my time as Secretary of State, I'm the person that created the online voter registration system in this state where any Georgian can vote, register to vote 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So for someone to say that we have been (laughs) suppressive in our state when we've seen turnout increase over the years, including with minorities like African-Americans, Latinos and others, is simply not true. And again, Ms. Abrams is going to lie about my record because she doesn't want to talk about her own. All right. So uh, our friend Andy Jackson, Dr. Jackson, over at the John Locke Foundation, he wrote the other day about that about that trial that she referenced in her uh, answer there about how you know they they had this longest running lawsuit in recent history or whatever it was, uh, and that you know we we were vindicated, proved we were right. We didn't win all of the claims, but it proved we were right. It, it actually did not. Stacey Abrams never. First off, she lied initially, where she's like, "Oh, I I accepted the results." No, you didn't. We all know you didn't. You went on TV and said you wouldn't, and uh, that was obvious. So she 
didn't accept the initial results of the election of her loss in 2018. Um, and, uh, and to this day, she and many Democrats claim that the election was stolen due to voter suppression. Now, federal district judge Steve Jones, who, by the way, was an Obama appointee, shredded key contentions in her long-running argument against Georgia. In the case, a group that was funded by Abrams uh, alleged all manner of violations and in a comprehensive, careful, and rhetorically unadorned 288-page decision, Jones would have none of it. He ruled against the fair fight action and other plaintiffs on all counts. The legal, this is what uh, Dr. Jackson says, the legal beating Abrams and friends received is another reminder of how unnecessary the North Carolina State Board of Elections collusive settlement with Democrat attorney Mark Elias was in 2020. That settlement altered election rules after voting had already begun. Even more damnable, the SBE, State Board of Elections, entered that settlement with Elias only a few weeks after a challenge to North Carolina election laws lost almost as thoroughly as Abrams just did in Georgia. There was simply no reason to settle with someone just shooting spitballs and collecting a paycheck. The good news is that the State Board of Elections no longer has the power to join in these types of collusive settlements because it's been limited as part of the 2021 budget deal. One provision requires legislative defendants to agree to any settlements before executive branch defendants can take a settlement agreement to a judge. It's one of the things that the budget did that will make for better governance, but also prevent future actions like we saw in this state in 2020. All right, that is a wrap for me today. Thanks again to Bill Fountain and Bobby Shields for stopping by. Thanks to you for listening. I appreciate it. Brett Winterbull coming up next. Stick around, and I'll catch you tomorrow. Oh, and don't break anything while I'm gone. Thank <laughs> you.